to critical thinking for everyone. <laughs> wow. What do you think? Well, I think good. You cut out a little bit on the one, but that's okay. That's the power of your voice. The is... power of my voice. Yeah, technology can't contain that. I'll tell you what, it's a tough one. Well, welcome everyone to Critical Thinking for Everyone. In case you couldn't hear it because I cut out. My name's Brian Barnes, by the way, and sometimes I am just too robust. He is, and I'm Patty Payette, and I am robust just enough. There you go. There you go. We have to manage our robustitude. Just keep yeah. in mind that there are two kinds of coffee. One of them is the Robusta. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's good. And, you know, we in our lives have to always make decisions about where to put our energy and how much and where. And um, that's just a daily decision. Yeah, that's right. And so one of the things that we want you to think about putting your energy into is perhaps better thinking, because honestly, honestly, couldn't you do better? Like, couldn't any of us do better? Yeah. I mean, can't any of us go back yesterday or last week and go, ah, sure could have thought that one through better. I mean, wherever you were, you were at the White Castle, you were at the Harbor Freight, you were at the chilies i mean whatever you were at the thing with your in-laws and you were at the car wash oh and the car wash turned toxic and that was like oh i could have i could have thought that one through better i mean it just takes a little work yeah and we thing. are we are all about making helping you listener giving you tools to help you be a better thinker yep. and model that in our own thinking out loud yep. and constantly try to improve. And because when we improve our thinking, we improve our life. Right. We do believe that. We do believe that if you can do a better job thinking about your thinking, that will end up creating a situation that will improve your life and improve things about the way that you go through this world. I mean, all of us are having to make decisions every day. And the thinking part of it is so important. How many shows care about your thinking? They don't. They care about your look. They care about the way you sound. Your money. Your money. They care about your push-ups. They care about your smell. Nobody's worried about thinking. We're, we are the carrying the banner on that. You are welcome, by the way, because it is a struggle for us. And if you feel like you want to contribute to this noble effort on Patty's and my part, you should donate to Forward Radio. You can go to forwardradio.org and donate anytime. We're not even in a pledge drive. You're welcome. We just did it for you here now, just to remind you that this is yes. for you. Yeah. It's Take some responsibility, thinkers. We would love you to think that over how much this is worth and make a donation of any amount and any join amount. join the ranks of those people who love forward radio, social justice radio, mm. and grassroots community-based radio. That's got to be a good number out there. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine that a lot of people overlap there, but at least there are a lot of people who who love one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that our preamble is coming to a close, we can move on to, to this week's topic. Patty's all about structure, by the way. 
She likes to point out the structure. I do. I'm really into structure and Brian is not, which makes us such a great duo. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather just, uh, I'd rather just float uh, and just uh, let the structure be. But one of the things about critical thinking is, since the show's about critical thinking, in case you forgot, one of the things about critical thinking is that we want to think about our thinking. We call it self-reflection. And we, we want to spend a little bit of time looking at our thinking and deciding which parts of our thinking is maybe good thinking and which parts are bad thinking, which parts can be improved. So the structure is actually important. Um, yeah, so I don't want to, I didn't want to imply that maybe Patty's interest was ill-placed because well, you, we, do. we need to point at the structure. Thank you. And we also need to make room for spontaneity, which is what you're good at. Oh yeah, maybe. I mean, I definitely, um, I definitely have a certain interest there. I don't know about, I don't know about talent, but let the listeners be the judge. Reach out to us at Critical Thinking for Everyone on Facebook. Tell us if we suck, or maybe just yeah. me. Patty doesn't want to hear that, but you yeah, can tell just, me. Well, tell us who you think is uh, a somewhat a good thinker we should bring on the show. Oh, that'd be nice. It'd be nice to get some community yeah. um, involvement about guests. Can we? Do we have any swag to give away? Yeah, we do. Could somebody reach out to us and we give them swag? We've got a yeah, we've got a really nice forward radio lapel pins. Whoa, no one's seen those lanyards, and so we what about critical thinking for everyone gear. Do we have any of that? Um, we could quickly easily make some. I know I've got like a notepad. I've made you some notepads before. No, I know they're not just for me. They're for everyone. <laughs> All right. Talk to us on Facebook if you're interested in any of this junk. We yeah. Let, to load you up with our junk. Let us know. So yeah. this show is inspired by guess Brian. What's inspired by? Well, you don't thinking? have to guess, but remember is it thinking? what? Is it thinking? Yeah, but what inspired this topic? You know well, me. Come on, you know me. Well, there's a there was an article. Yes. Yeah. Because you know me, I'm always reading stuff. You know Patty, she's staring at dead trees and hallucinating wildly. I do. Cool. I like to. I'm old school. I like to read the paper. Paper, like just like your dad Larry, he likes to read the newspaper, not on a screen. Like when right. I come home and I want to relax, do you think right. I want to get in front of a screen again? No. I guess not. No. Okay. Okay. So, Dear listener, she does not want to get in front of a screen again. No, unless it's a really, really good show that I should be streaming that I'm not. Okay. Okay. Do we need to hear about that? Maybe people could tell us about those on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys have one, you think, Patty, you're going to be in front of a screen all day. And when you go home, you don't want to be in front of a screen, but you haven't seen this show because I lay it on me. If you think there's a show that would make me want to get in front of a screen when I okay. get home. All right. That's, okay. that's because really she'd rather read. Yeah, I oh totally. I always pick reading because I'm a total nerd. All right. So which which um which strip of dead tree inspired you this time? All right. There was an article in the New York Times by Annie Murphy Paul. Okay. And it is called Thinking Outside the Brain. But Thinking course, Outside the Brain. Of course, when I sent it to you, I did a typo on the title and didn't realize it till days later. It said thinking outside the Brian. 
I saw it immediately and I have to say I had a great deal of comfort with it. You did? Why? Because my birth mother, who I never knew, was only she and I only shared the planet for a couple of months. Yeah, I, I remember you telling me about this. But she always wrote my name Brain. She did? She did. It was apparently her only regular dyslexic act. But she constantly wrote my name Brain on all documents. <laughs> and so there, there was some effort to uh you know to catch up with that but that's so it's just yeah. like a fluky thing it was a fluky thing and so i'm always i'm always comfortable yeah. when i when i confuse brain and brian anybody it, like it doesn't warm, bother me it's like a warm feeling i feel fine about it yeah yeah i don't think there's an uh, actual connection but it does make me feel so fine. she did she it was a fluke she didn't intend to call you she did no 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 but she wrote it all the time apparently uh why 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 did she decide to name you brian Oh, I was named after an actor. Oh, really? I've never known this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's a good actor or not. His, actor. Name, his name is Brian Keith. He's dead now. Oh, Brian Keith from the from the 60s. Yeah, from the 60s. That's right. And so if you know any of those shows and any of those movies from the 60s, that's that's the dude. Yeah, my parents both liked him. So that's I kind of like that's a great story. I like that. I guess. I mean, it would have been nice if if I was named after just they just like brains, I guess. And just this was the closest name they could come <laughs> up with. But, you know, I, Brian Keith's fine for me. I didn't, no name you, I didn't realize you were named after Brian Keith. That is a nice a smile. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. So whether and and uh well sometimes i just refer you as dr barnes and we can avoid the whole brain brian thing and and uh, totally oh yeah if we need to i mean i'm comfortable yeah so but today the, apparently we're deeply invested in this dichotomy <laughs> so so thinking outside the brain um what this article is about is that nonsense because we don't think outside the brain the thesis <laughs> Well, it's kind of a misnomer. Okay, so basically her the gist of her article is that if we solely rely on our brain to manage the breadth and depth and scope of everything we have to think about and remember and do and learn, and we're just focused on the gray matter to carry all that, yep. we are missing out on tools around us, including our body that we can engage in the learning process, for example, that can supplement so that poor brain is not overtaxed. Why is this show lately so anti-thinking? I don't understand. Not anti, she's not anti-thinking. She's pro-thinking. She's saying, you know, look, our cognitive load in the modern world is so intense that we can't just uh, rely on like grit, like just buckle down and do it. Just think harder, right? It's like, think smarter, not just think harder. So, and so thinking smarter would be stuff like noticing, I'm just guessing here, noticing the way that I feel. Is that right? Um, not really, no, mm -mm. not okay. really. Other than if what you feel is overwhelmed by a task that you can't possibly 
you know, manage or remember, okay. then it's like, okay, how am I using tools in the world to help me? So she gives the example, like one way she says, okay, there's four dimensions of things that can help you be a stronger, more thorough thinker. And, and I'm going to talk about each one, but I wanted to tell you in advance, because that is uh, called an advanced organizer in learning, right? When we tell someone ahead of time, here's the main points, and then you go through them. Okay. Can I, so can I, can I just before, since, since you pulled out the structural piece, the advanced organizer. Mm -hmm. Or the roadmap. Sometimes I call it the roadmap. The roadmap. I mean, okay. This is an important issue in education. Before we get into this brain business, thinking outside the brain, let me ask about this because when I went to Hanover College, they didn't prep you for a damn thing. You had to just get it all. Nobody gave you an overview ahead of time. Nobody told you what the points were going to be. You show up and you get them. It was like you, you, there was never a preview. I don't ever remember there being a preview, except in a couple of cases in super complicated classes that you would never be able to figure them out if you just went if you didn't have an idea where you were going. Okay, well, that's why it's my job exists. <laughs> well, this is my question though. See, this is a shift in the way that we learn. In the, in the ancient days when my professors at Hanover College, who once they got there, they never had to do anything anymore, I guess. Um, what, you know, the, for those people, there was no there was no preview. There was no roadmap. There was no anything. And so I've been really surprised as a learner in recent years. I've been super surprised that there's so much emphasis on this. Tell us what we're going to do. Then we do it. Then tell us what we did. Isn't there something to that that's sort of cheating like it it preps the learner, it gives them a couple of extra reps. And so they, at the end of the day, and here's my ultimate question, at the end of the day, don't they look smarter than they really are when they get all this roadmap business? I mean, isn't this a way to kind of, to kind of give people a leg up when otherwise they just have to get it once, like in the, in the, well, it, a lot, there's been a lot of research in how people learn in the past decade. So to explain why this wasn't done at Hanover, the whole chalk and talk model um, has oh, really yeah. been transformed not only by teaching and learning in higher ed and what's the focus used to be on the instructor. Now it's on the student, right? What yeah, do we know about? It was about? totally on the instructor when I was in right. college. I and didn't know at all. Right. The shift is now to the student, right? Just because you said it doesn't mean they've learned it, um, right? I stood up here and said it, so they should have learned it as should if they have learned it, though. Absorber. No, that's not how that's not actually how people learn. OK, OK. Um, now, all right. This is this is a great. I, I just want to spend a few minutes on this because I think this is important. Isn't it the case that you and I learned before. We learn despite. We learn despite. We learn despite. Oh, gee, help me understand that. So you're saying that you're saying that old Jan Smucker actually put up barriers to me learning instead of illuminating things? No, 
that person may have just simply laid out the information and you were sort of cognitively primed either because of your interest, because of your motivation to fear get an was A, a was or like fear, fear, right? Yeah. So those kinds of emotions, people could be like, you know, it's sort of like if you were lost and, and you were out in the woods and or somewhere you were lost and you're driving around in dark and 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 you and you you flag me down and say I need directions. Right. Okay. And I tell you, and you're so motivated and focused, you're gonna retain it. You're because you're highly motivated and you're gonna really listen as I give yeah. you directions. Yeah. But in a lot of classes, I mean, I bet if I listed out all of the classes you took at Hanover and said, tell yeah. me what you remember from each yeah. of these classes. Um, I would guess a lot of those classes, you couldn't tell me much of what you remembered. I have actually mentioned on the show before that there are even classes on my transcript that I don't remember at all, exactly. that I cannot, I didn't take that. Exactly. So you were in the room as a body and a brain yep. listening, but you didn't actually retain it and learn I it. I think I still learned some stuff. I just don't remember any of it. Yeah, you didn't retain it. Okay. Well, I mean, just to say, I, I learned some stuff. I didn't right. retain the memory of the class sessions. I still retained right. some of the content. So, but I feel like, so Hanover would say, that's on me. Like I had to show up every day. Just let me know what you think of this as a person in your role. I'd love to hear what you say about this. So Hanover would say to me, the message that I got was, you have to show up every day. You have to be motivated. You have to read all the stuff. You have to actually care or else you don't belong here. You shouldn't go to college. If you can't focus every day and pick it up one time through, if you can't be a student all the time, you couldn't have a job, wow. couldn't live off campus. If you can't do this, you ought not be in school. Wow. Is that fair? Um, well, not really. I, I think really the message is this is how learning happens here and you either go with our method or you, you go somewhere else. Absolutely. So. And I, and I think what they, I think what they actually said was, this is how learning happens. Wow. Period. Wow. And so you can either go with our method or you can just go, you know, and do whatever else. you want. Well, to that's, do. Uh, that's this ironic because actually that isn't how, how people learn. Oh um, man. What a bummer. <laughs> this is so enlightening and frustrating at the same time. I'm sure a lot of people out there had the experience that I did of somebody just putting stuff in front of them and going, well, uh, you know, you've got a week to learn this. And if you don't, I don't, I mean, maybe this isn't for you. So we were all undermined. Well, you and millions of other college students. Yeah. I'm just saying like, oh. like just, just yeah. because, because Hanover college, when I was there, I think very much was in the zeitgeist of education. I think that this is what this is what people were thinking was the way that you learn. Right. I mean, my high school was no different. I mean, there wasn't yeah. any there wasn't any preview. There wasn't any four points. If there was, I know you probably don't agree with this, but if there was, people people looked down on it. They were like, oh, look, they're giving you everything. Ahead. You don't even have to read it. Ah, they're preview. You know, it's like this preview stuff seemed a little bit disingenuous once upon a time. But you're saying that's a better way to learn. Yeah. So hmm. somebody out there is wondering, well, how does learning work? I'm going to give you the pithy statement from scholar Terry Doyle. Okay, ready? I'm ready. The one who does the work does the learning. 
Mm. So if I'm up in front of the class as the teacher doing the thinking for them, doing solving the problems, analyzing the poem, pulling out what's important from this text, I'm doing the intellectual work. The students are passively, they're not doing, they're, they're not, brain is not activated in doing the intellectual work. They cannot literally do the learning. They can just watch me maybe pick up, maybe they'll pick up a few things but they're not, they're not actually internalizing because they're not doing the work of it. So, I mean, does that mean if I'm the faculty member up there or if I'm the trainer at the organization and I'm walking them through every move, which right. is of course what happens in training a lot, like right. the grocery store or whatever, right. I'm just walking them through every move and all they have to do really is just like write down the answers or whatever. And they, they showed up for this training, like they get credit for right. it. But they didn't have to do anything. Like I did everything for them. Right. You're saying that's not the best way for them to learn. Like the trainer gets better, but these trainees probably don't get much. Right. So oh. imagine imagine this scenario. I'm teaching you how to change the tire on your new car. Yep. And I'm like, Brian, watch me change the tire. Yep. And then you'll know how to do it. Okay. And then I, you watch me take it out. You watch me da 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 da, da And you, but you're actually, you're not actually doing it. You're just watching me do it now. Imagine. And then I go, okay. So you get a flat on the water sand during rush hour. You can do it. Cause you watch me do it. Right. right. And maybe you jot down a few notes. Sure. Okay, but what if I say to you, Brian, I'm going to teach you how to change your tire. And there's four steps to it. Are we going to do it on the water sand? um that would be the most what we call the most authentic assessment but i don't meaning, have to do it there meaning no no but i'm saying if we want to do an authentic assessment which is as close to the real scenario as possible we could do that but we'll do it in our driveway but let me finish i would say there's four things i'm going to show you i'm going to show you the equipment that's the first thing then i'm going to show you how to get the tire off that's the second thing then i'm going to show you how to put the new tire on and then the fourth thing is we're going to do a check to make sure everything's okay so we're gonna do those four things okay and then i'm going to do them then i'm going to have you do each step and i'm going to give you feedback along the way okay. and then you're going to i'm going to watch you do it again okay and i've given you the advanced organizer i've told you the four things you're going to do so mentally you're not sort of just like drifting along. You're like, oh, I can't, okay, we did this, we did this. So you're you're cognitively primed for okay. each stage of the process. Um, okay, all right. So so I got you, but I just have a follow up question because this is where this is what Hanover College would say would would want to know. Yes. Okay. So I'm gonna give Barnes over here an assignment to go to the library and learn about octopi yes okay i'm not going to tell barnes anything about octopi i'm just going to say you have to give a presentation about these things and um the information is in the library right okay i didn't prime barnes right but he's going to be able probably to go do this anyway so why do we need to prime him if he can figure this out? Or is it the case that I'm making it harder? I'm the professor. I know about the octopus already. 
I'm making it harder for Barnes because I'm not telling him, I want you to go and learn these things about the octopus. But really, I don't want to tell Barnes that. I want Barnes to do it without me. Can I just send him to the library with no priming? You, you can, as long as your result that you desire is whatever he finds interesting or relevant about the octopi, not what you think is interesting or relevant. Then it just becomes about an independent search into this topic, and it doesn't necessarily have a goal or purpose that you've established. I'd like for him to learn about the octopus. Okay, then then your assessment is, has he learned anything about it? And for he would be the judge of that to tell you what he's learned that he didn't know. Okay, so when he comes back and he gives me the presentation about the octopus, and I was like, Barnes, you didn't say anything about tentacles you didn't say anything about the little beak you didn't say anything yeah. about the octopus behavior yeah when that comes back and i give him a d minus because he didn't do any of the things that uh yeah. that in my opinion a thoughtful person about the octopus would have done yeah he didn't do any of that are you saying that maybe i'm doing something wrong because i and I didn't tell him what I wanted, but what he gave me, I didn't like. And I'm going to well, get a grade. You don't have to tell him what you wanted. You just didn't give him any criteria for success. Well, criteria for success, you got to learn the important things about octopus. Okay, well, then um, what is important from the sea world point of view, important from the art point of view? Importance is relative. So you're giving him no framework within which to assess, to pull out what's important from what's irrelevant. Do you think that, okay, last question, maybe. Do you think an educated person, whatever that is, an educated person would know what to pull out? No matter uh, what we're talking about. Not, like no, not necessarily, no. No? So you couldn't oh. give like an educated Patty an octopus example or, or, or um, um, an octopus assignment and expect her to pull out all of the important information about an octopus just because she's educated. Like she might come up with wild stuff about the octopus. Yeah, I, I'm, what I think is important maybe, and then, then it becomes dependent on because whoever texts that I'm using what they thought was important, sure. right? So I have no external way to sift through all that information because I'm just going, well, if it's mentioned in these books, then I guess it's important. So, it sounds like what you're saying to me is there's no absolute way to do this without knowing the kind of the, the assignment or the point of view or, or the, the context. context. Yeah, you need some really? criteria, yeah. So what happens when I'm what happens when I'm out there at my job and they're trying to train me on something new, and they don't give me any of this guidance? You're saying that they should have. No, I'm saying as a critical thinker, I will ask. Okay, and if they don't, then then they're wrong. Can if I do they that? Don't then a lot of times what happens with people on the job is trial and error. I turn yeah. in and they go, no, 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 that's not what we wanted. And, and it's, it's like a lot of labor hours, frankly. I mean, just a lot. Yeah, but unfortunately, that is a lot of trial and error is how people learn on the job. A lot of people don't get any onboarding. 
right. you know, as to right. what's important. And I remember, I'll never forget, I entered a job where six months later, they were like, well, this is what your colleagues are going to assess you on. They're going to give you 365 or, you know, the feedback, a 360 feedback. Uh, and I was like, wow, I wish you told me six months ago, this is what people were going to be wanting, you know, looking at, at me to do or to how to behave. <laughs> that, that's nice that someone did that six months in. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened to me on one job. My very first job, my, my very first real job I ever had. Yeah. I was hired to, I don't know if people know this, but in Louisville, Kentucky, there is a building called the Memorial Auditorium. And oh, the, yes. In the basement of the Memorial Auditorium is? I don't know. The city archives. <gasps> I didn't know. That's cool. There's a cave down there. Yeah, literally a cool. cave and it's a huge warehouse. Yeah. So <clears throat> in 19, there was a there was a, a an adjacent cave. Yeah. That had all of these old documents. I mean, literally a cave. Yeah. And I was hired as a <laughs> as a college freshman. I was hired to go into the cave and archive what was in there. There were what? documents, there were documents from 1790 in that cave. There wow. were documents from, it was ridiculous. That fascinating. Fascinating, fascinating. What was my guidance? Go archive the stuff <laughs> in the room. How do you do that? Just go do it. <laughs> really? When I would ask questions, there was, there was an archivist yeah. On the opposite side of the big cave, which is a, a full city block, right? Yeah. But I could go occasionally and ask questions, but there wasn't a template. There were no documents. There were no examples. There was zero guidance. The person who hired me didn't know how to archive anything, right? And so it was just <laughs> go down there. And so I, I would ask questions and they said things like, well, well, you know, write down what you find. So I'm turning these lists of just, just ridiculous stuff and they go well what is this I said, oh i don't the map you know like like where's it from who did it where's like all the i mean like now i would have a much different just in boxes the silverfish were out of hand oh my god you can't even believe they were longer than my arm i was like oh my god it's still going like you can't step on it because it just throw you down so, I mean, just, just an incredible experience. I was there for three months and then they said, okay, well, thanks. And I said, well, uh, what do I do tomorrow? And they said, well, you'll probably have to find another job. This is, this is done. And I said, but I didn't, but I haven't done anything. And they said, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> A lot of times I just go on there and sleep. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> It was terrible. I'm <laughs> underground. It's very cool. It's summer. I'm just, just silver fish are everywhere. I don't know. I'm just trying. To I think those water. documents would have been fascinating to read. I would hate to think that they're still down there. I've thought about it many times. Like, can I get, can you even get in? It was the most, it was the weirdest kind of like get smart entrance, you know, like you know, with shoes and telephone booths and magic carpets. It was so strange, winding staircase. And you get down to this little cave with an adjacent cave and another 
massive adjacent cave. It was like that stuff in the X-Files, like, or maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, uh, probably there were magical things in there. They just put them in a box and stuck them it in. It makes me want to go down and look at that stuff. I've always wondered if the city archives are still down there because they, they had racks and racks and racks of stuff that was really um that was really organized but had nothing to do with me i I found so many cool things down there and i just didn't even know but this is the thing they didn't tell me what to do they They didn't even know know what they wanted they just wanted a person to go through these boxes i think and just and just someone to say hey look at all the stuff in here but i mean i didn't even know enough to do that because i was like 18 years old wow i wish i would have had some what do you call it criteria no the the plan the trend the what 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 do you call the scaffolding oh roadmap what was the other term uh advanced organizer that's the thing advanced organizer i can't believe they paid me without an advanced organizer okay well you know what since we're mentioning this here's what i learned about archiving oh good it's a little late but please go ahead okay They might take you back, Brian. I'm got some time this summer. I'm back. Um, okay, so here's what I learned what archivists do. Get this. All right. All right. Okay, so cast your mind back to 2011 and when our kids were going to Bloom Elementary. All right. Remember that? Yeah, sure. And I was a parent and I wanted to volunteer, but I couldn't go on a lot of field trips and stuff because I have a full-time job being a nerd at the university. But I, did, I went on some, but I couldn't go as many as I wanted. So I said, hey, I started talking to people and I said, hey, I'm a nerd. I like to research. Nobody knows the history of Bloom Elementary. In oh, wow. fact, Dr. Bloom, who's named for it, sometimes some people at the school were like, hey, we don't even know what his first I-N or his first two initials, they didn't even know what it stood for. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do some research. So I'm gonna figure this out. Okay. So okay. this is what I did. I went upstairs. You know what's upstairs where I'm sitting right now in the in U of L? Uh, there are books. Library archives. Uh, yeah. Library archives. So the city archivist, you know, what's his name? Tom Owens up there. So I go up there, make an appointment, and I go up and I say, Hey, I'm trying to research Bloom Elementary. And he goes, Oh, he walks over to a filing cabinet, opens it. It's like B, right? It's under the B's. So they'd have like Belvedere and Belle of Louisville, like would have all these things in the city, right? Sure. And and sure. he pulls out this folder and it says Bloom Elementary and he sets it on the table and I go sit down and I open it. And what's in it? Articles from clipped from the Courier Journal Bowl about Bloom Elementary, um, official documents from the past of the school and you know da, 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 and all this stuff and i'm like looking through it and i xerox it and i'm like close it up and i give it back to him and i'm like so an archivist creates categories and then filters and organizes material and information by those categories nice. in this case it was simply by the name of the school in the city Right. And I bet there we could go up, we could break in there right now, Brian, and there'd be like all these <laughs> fascinating folders on different parts of the city. Right. Yeah. And then I did the same thing when I went to the school district archives, found out where that is. Imagine how many people probably are asking them about that. Found another folder with like annual reports and a you know, some I found a document from like 1897. That's cool. Is, they, how, is the school that old? Yeah. Huh? Oh yeah. Oh. 
Oh yeah, Lucia Avenue School was originally before they named it after Dr. Bloom, who's by the way, IN is Isidore Nathan. Oh. And he is quite a nerd on this one. And he was the grant, he became the grandfather of the modern school district because you know what he did? Guess what he did to get a school named after him? Uh started school lunches. At the turn of the century, there was so much fighting among the school board because of the party, the political parties in there. He said, you know what? We're going to get rid of this system. We're going to create a nonpartisan school board. And we are because because you know who's suffering is the kids and the Mm -hmm. community. Hmm. And he became the chair of that. And he totally and he and he was a, a MD and he was teaching in the medical school at U of L and did this as his, you know, volunteer stuff. So He's I guess so I guess cool guy. So I guess Bloom Street down by U of L is not about flowers. I guess it's that dude. It could be that we should look into that. We could look into that because he was named, they named the school after him in like the 1920s after he died. Hmm. So it'd be interesting to look that maybe that has something to do with him. But um, I just wanted you to know my point is I got a little insight into how archives work. Absolutely. When I went up there and pulled out a file folder where they just stuffed all this stuff in about Bloom and the history was very interesting. I will say also, you know, I mean, it, I find archiving stuff really interesting, and it's great that you learned so much. I've had many opportunities, maybe like other people, I've had many opportunities to archive things and to find old documents and to be involved with stuff and just just not done a good job any time. So it's great to have the background logic of this. I once was hired, my very first job at UofL was to archive the documents the remaining documents of a professor who died at the university really yeah yeah he was in the philosophy department his name was eric hill he was uh, an african-american gay philosopher and this was in the late 80s and he died and he had lots of documents about the african-american experience and um, the gay experience and lots of other issues and, uh, of course, mainstream philosophical stuff. He only ever published one article. I didn't know how to archive it. That was my job. I separated things into piles and boxes and folders and who knows where they went. I hope they're still at the university somewhere. Wow. So you no keep idea. getting offering jobs to be an archivist and you don't know how to do it. I don't know why people keep hiring me to do this when I don't know how to do it. It's ridiculous. Okay. That listeners. Was my first graduate, uh, graduate school gig. That was my funding was this thing. Okay. Listeners, if you have an archival project, maybe it's even archiving your family photos in your basement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By holiday, you know, Brian will separate like the the holiday Christmas holiday photos from the like summer vacation photos mm-hmm. or anything you have where Brian could, you know, really develop some archival acumen. Yeah. But give him criteria. No, no, no. No. If you think if you're thinking right now, you know, Brian sounds like a good fit for some archiving. Hire Patty. That's what you do. See, you just go, ah, Brian, I have a, I must have a face for archiving. I don't know, something like that. Like there's something about me that people go, ah, that, that guy's like a museum curator, but I don't know a damn thing. Maybe, so. you know what? Maybe <laughs> that should have been your life's work. I think so. I keep being, I keep getting pulled into it. I feel like, I feel like that guy, you remember that, 
that movie that modern movie the mummy with like brendan fraser or whatever yeah. there's that dude who just sort of was a like he learned a little bit of latin and he learned a little bit of egyptian he learned a little bit of arabic and he really couldn't do very much but he's always hanging around that's kind of the way i feel anyway when i'm an archivist i'm not uh, i'm not at my best but i do think archiving is important and i hope that all the rest of you find excellent criteria for your thinking through what's important when you're trying to keep these things together well that's a really nice way to stick the landing on that very long rabbit hole topic that we just went down but we look forward to your roadmap about this article. And I'm gonna, oh my God. I'm gonna just let you give the four, the four points and not talk at all. Oh man, we'll see about that. Um, uh, wow, we really, okay, I, I, all right. So the four areas of extra neural resources. Do you know what I mean by extra neural? I, it, is it the case that this is not something that we are um, experiencing with our nervous system? Neural, yes. Yeah. So like we're not relying on the neural pathways in the brain to carry all of our thinking. We're using some of these support tools. Support tools like okay. the hairs of my arms. So one of them is technology. Not okay. Hair. okay. So like we can use technology. We can use our phones to like, give us directions or remember phone numbers or let us look up information so we don't have to carry all that stuff around in our brain all the time. All right. So technology, a lot of people lean into that, right? A lot of people lean into technology. Yeah. We are, in fact, leaning literally into the technology right now. Exactly. We are. We are. And a lot so, of us, as we go through our days, we feel very disadvantaged if we don't have our phone if we don't have our watch if we don't have our car if we don't have our computer if we don't have our piece of technology right so one way we can sort of take off that cognitive load is surrendering things to technology or using technology in a way so we don't have to carry all of that stuff in our brain i mean think of also like when you're writing down a list a to-do list right you're writing it down because your brain is like i can't remember everything here but we can use our phones to make a list we can use the way we sometimes use a piece of paper i still use a piece of paper well <clears throat> okay but all right i guess i can't stop interrupting here look hanover college would say oh my god yeah these things are crutches. Think about the thinkers of old. Seneca, Cicero, they're keeping it all in their head. There were no notes. Aristotle had no notebooks. Okay, but what she argues is that in the early decades of the 20th century, school work and even the routines of daily life became more cognitively complex, more abstract, required more brain power Damn. Then Aristotle um, grew well Aristotle is not thinking about you know what do I have to make for dinner or you know what do I have to pay all these bills and Aristotle's probably just getting to think about lofty thoughts all day it's a good point you know so we're trying to think lofty thoughts and manage all this stuff so yeah, she does, calls this does about contribute to some of the complexity and i have to say that my professors at hanover college never gave a crap about that particular point yeah Not exactly one of 
exactly. So let me give you something that really hit home for me in terms of levels of complexity and how do we support ourselves? I remember I was working on my, I started working on my doctoral dissertation and my advisor, I was struggling, I think with a little bit of like trying to keep everything, all these ideas and concepts floating because this is a project I worked on for, you know, two to three years. Like you, you worked on yours for a long time and it's a lot of layers. It wasn't, it wasn't of two to three years. What's this? This was a truncated thing for you. Well, okay, I got mine done in a couple of years, but Pretty impressive. Thank you. But here's what helped me. So when she said to me, my advisor told me, she said, you know, it just you can't keep everything in your head. You have to come up with a system where you're writing things down and and cat, you know, organizing them and yeah, putting them true. because you literally cannot keep all of the ideas and concepts in your head. No. Because I, as a grad student, I was used to like a semester paper where I could kind of keep my main ideas and concepts. I could just kind of organize them in my head and then, you know, jot down a quick outline and then type it up. I would write all the, I would write almost all the papers the night before yeah. because I would think about them and think about, and I'd have it. Like I could just, I yes. couldn't write it. Yeah. Yes, because you were no. percolating. You're no. percolating on it, right? And I, I, I didn't write it the night before, but I'd write it like the week before it was due. And <laughs> How ambitious. So, so, but I, cause I spend like you a lot of weeks processing it anyway. So what that told me, what that helped me realize is, wow, it is so cognitively complex. I, I have to offload it off my brain and, and, and have, find a way either to type it, to write it. And so we have to use technology because we can't keep everything in our head. And what do people do now? A lot of times people, they take photos of things like, Absolutely. oh, I'm not going to remember this this book that I want to buy. So I'll take a photo of, of right. the screenshot or my friend's book. And that's how I'm going to remember. So, so now you and I both know that um, one of our very first shows was about shallow thinking and how sometimes the internet, we over rely on um, technology, for example, right. give, giving us directions. I'll just use the GPS. I'll just blindly drive wherever the GPS tells me, and I'm not going to pay attention to my surroundings. And therefore I'm not like fully engaged in doing the thinking about where I'm going. Right. And there's a, there's a down, there's a, so there's an upside and a downside to that. Right. Um, and um, so she, she's talking about it though, from how do we use technology in a way to help us deal with the complexities? Okay. So, so, for so so just a simple example is just taking notes just just yes. taking some notes that's that counts as technology in this yes. so so if you're a person out there and you're going ah i don't have a smartphone it doesn't matter get a pencil you know golf pencil and a little your back of a matchbook or whatever i mean this is enough this counts as technology and taking notes what helps us be better thinkers is that the long run here it helps us be better thinkers because we're release, relieving some of the cognitive load of just trying to keep everything in our head that's relevant that we need to remember that's important. All right, all right. So, all right, so technology uh, or old school technology, which is a pen and paper, pencil and paper. Okay, so there's another one she talks about, which is how we use, this is really interesting, our bodies, okay? So she talks about something called embodied cognition. And she says, this field has demonstrated that the body, its sensations, gestures, and movements 
plays an integral role in the thought process that we usually locate right just above our neck. So the body is adept at alerting us to patterns, events of experience, patterns that are too complex to be held in the conscious mind. So she gives the example of, so when a scenario we have encountered before crops up again, the body gives us a nudge, communicating with a shiver or a sigh, a quickening of the breath or a tensing of the muscles. Those who are attuned to such cues can use them to make more informed decisions. How I would sort of summarize that as saying, when you're paying attention to how your body is feeling, while you're thinking, you can sort of tune in and be like, oh, my gut says this. Why does my gut say that? Or my gut says, eh, or, you know, you kind of, you kind of can use, she's saying you can use some of your bodily reactions to inform, not do the thinking, but inform your thinking. Yeah, I'll buy that. I'm thinking about kissing. You are? Just now. Okay. I mean, I'm just thinking about kissing because it seems like, especially when we're interested in romance the the kissing thing is one of those things that'll that if you haven't kissed a person yet it gets overthought oh right like i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know and there's a lot of trying to figure things out but it seems like the kissing uh, just my own opinion feel free to email us at uh, critical thinking for everyone on facebook or whatever seems like to me that the kissing is sort of at its best when we're just kind of feeling it i mean is that fair like it's not oh don't overthink it well it's like if you're intellectually going ah, i should turn my lips 15 degrees now i mean it just seemed ah well i don't know if i'm putting enough pressure uh, some of these things might might undermine the experience is that yeah well maybe fair? what you're pointing to is maybe there's times we should sort of disengage with our thinking and be more fully present in our body and feeling well i mean i think that just goes along with what we're suggesting here i mean if the body does have memory i mean i know for sure that um i mean i don't want to link this right for kissing but certainly you know people who've had trauma they don't consciously think about the trauma sometimes, but it can show up in yes. their body. Like it yes. can show up in different ways of tensing. It can show up right. if I'm in back in, if I'm in a situation that's reminiscent, right? maybe then I, I start to yeah. have negative experiences again, even though there's no actual trauma. That's, that seems like that goes along with what she's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Liz, yes. That your body can respond in ways to inform what's going on in your psyche and vice versa. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I have an interesting example of this that I wonder if anyone else has. Whenever I'm gonna go for a run, do you know about this? No, if I I'm don't. I'm gonna know. go run like for exercise. Yeah. As soon as I, I, I can talk about it now, it's no problem. I can start thinking about it. But when I go and put my clothes on and put my shoes on and I'm actually about to huh? go run, I got to poop. Really? Ever since I was in the army, like it is, there the is, connection? I have, I don't know, but I'll tell you what, I've got to make time. If I know I'm going to run, I'll start getting ready an hour early <laughs> because I know at some point during this process, it's going to be like, well, can't go run yet. But if I try to do a thing like I've done with friends and stuff in the past, 
you know, hey, I'm going to go for a run, right? I'm going to meet you in 20 minutes. Forget it. I will not be there because at some point I'm going to, and it's not trivial. It's the sort of thing where it's like, I haven't pooped like this in weeks. It's just okay. the, it's just right. the notion of running it, my body, and then like, it's fine. But it's definitely, I mean, look, I hope people aren't your, triggered by poop. Body, that's a real thing. I mean, that's a real thing. Your body's like, we need to get rid of any excess weight because it's unbelievable. To- I don't even know what to do because I don't even want to. But then suddenly my body's like, excuse me, excuse me. You can't possibly go out there now. And if I do, wow. it's going to be a mistake. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Well, um, hmm. It's that, hard to follow I that. I understand. That. But, it is hard yeah, to follow yeah. that. Okay. How well, about just me, sort of the third lamppost? Well, wait, got there? Well, let, let me give you another example. She talked about, this is really interesting. She says, um that your body and physicality can also help you in a learning situation so so let me let me give you an example of what i mean she says they they gave they found a study that when students understanding of a subject like physics is less accurate after an introductory college physics course however if they are engaged in learning physics principles by actually handling, let's say a wheel or a pulley system. And then they're asked about the physics concepts. They are more likely to remember because they have experienced those concepts in their body versus just hearing them in their brain. This goes back to the whole thing I said about changing the tire. Like if I'm just telling you how to change the tire or you're watching me versus I'm having you physically try to do it and you're having to like maneuver this and hold this and get this right right your sort of like body sense memory will complement that learning experience so i says i never forget i heard about a faculty member who would teach chemical concepts by having students come to the front of the room and actually move their bodies as if they were cells and Mm. things sort of interacting and bouncing off each other and the students loved it because they watched their classmates and they had the fun of watching them embody a chemistry concept up in the front of the room cool and it was incredibly memorable for those students Mm. i can imagine yeah so so also so that's the second one so it's technology body physical space and the other one so technology the body and then the third one is a physical space so how's the body how's the body different from physical space okay that's what i want to clarify so um so physical space is like moving mental contents out of our head and into the space of a sketch pad or a whiteboard allows the cognitive bonus of what this one psychologist calls the detachment gain, meaning that is a gain in which students were asked to illustrate with drawings the operation of a mechanical system, and they were able to do that much better on paper in a drawing in a physical, like in physically drawing it, than they were just talking it through. Okay, so, so this, is essentially, of, this is essentially just taking like maybe the the verbal and and audio audio and turning it to <clears throat> visual. Right, or it could even be 3D, like building a model. 
Oh, cool. Right? Okay. Like I'm going to build a model of this sure. sort of like, you know, you go in the doctor's office and they're trying to sh they show you a model, let's say of a joint. Right. Right. And you're like able to, to doctor do you go to, whoa, they're giving yeah. out joints at your doctor. <laughs> so, so there's the physical, there's the, the gain from drawing it and having the spatial relationship and being able to represent that. I tell you, that, I mean, there are a lot of folks who say, I am, I am more visual. I hear that from students a lot. I'm really more visual when I give them an option for something like that. A lot of students dig it. So I think that 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 that, that anecdotally that works for me. I'm, and I'm not surprised with this generation that is so visual, that is so used to like, oh, let me watch a YouTube video right. or let me write to understand something, <coughs> something. I'm not surprised. A lot of students just don't want to read a text and then I get it right. They I want sure to They sure don't. And I find that I get, I get, I get better results in a lot of cases. If I have a high quality video where someone's telling them exactly what's in the text, but they're not reading it. And then even more retention if they do it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So the fourth area, so we talked about the ways to, to offload some cognitive load first through technology, the body, right. physical space. The last one, <laughs> social interaction, social interaction. So, yeah. So basically what that is, is that when we are talking with other people and hearing their points of view on something, yeah. we're always going to get more depth. We're always gonna like, if I'm gonna talk it through with you, I'm more likely, and I'm gonna hear your point of view, I'm more likely to have a chance to kind of process and really internalize. And, and when I hear other points of view, it actually kind of deepens my own thinking about it. So, so this is kind of what, partly what we say with um, in critical thinking, right? Hearing other points of view and perspectives, helps deepen your own thinking. So which of the four areas help you the most, the technology, the body, physical space, or social interaction? Well, it's impossible to minimize the role of technology in my own learning. I mean, uh, those, are the, those are the two for, those are the two for me too. Oh Thank yeah. You. Why do you think we love the show so much? Because we get such large money from it. Well, besides the, the non-existent paycheck. Oh, <laughs> must be this. It's we love tied. it. We love it. So we love it. So don't we? Mm. It's tied in with us. It's uh, it's simpatico with us. And we hope that you have been simpatico with this. We hope that you are thinking, oh, wow, these four pieces actually give me a lot of insight in my own thinking, because that's what we were trying to do for these 58 minutes and change. We were trying to give you some insight into your own thinking. And thank you for joining along with us. And we hope that you will agree with us at this point in the show that critical thinking is, in fact, for everyone. Even you.